Have you ever heard someone described in such a way that you became enamored by them? It just, it made you want to get to know them more. Maybe they have an interesting personality. Maybe they have a very interesting backstory that you've heard about. And you want to, you know, this person just sounds like an interesting person. So you want to learn more about them. Maybe you have mutual interests. And so you want to get together and talk about those things and kind of relate on that level. Meeting my wife, Abby, was actually a lot like that. Before we'd ever met face-to-face, I had just heard several of our mutual friends just talk about her in such a way that it made me want to get to know her more. Of course, the hard part, though, is once you've decided, okay, I want to get to know this person more, the hard part is, how do you actually do that? Do you invite them to hang out with some of your friends? Do you... Uh, Go get dinner with them. Do you invite them to coffee, right? You want to seem interested, but not too interested. Well, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a four-week series on the Holy Spirit called Pneuma. Uh, That comes from the, the, the Greek word for spirit, pneuma. And in the first week of that series, we saw that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity and and that he uniquely uses Scripture in order to speak to us and change us day to day. Last week, Tim uh, preached for us, and we learned that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. He's not just this, this sort of presence. He is a person, a member of the Trinity, and he is our comforter, our helper, our, our advocate. He takes an active role in the life of the Christian. A week from now, Dustin's going to come up here and he's going to talk about how the Spirit transforms us as Christians, how he changes us and molds us. And my hope throughout this four-week series is that as you hear about the Holy Spirit, you would become enamored in such a way that it makes you want to get to know him more and more. But as we already said, the hard part in that process is not just deciding you want to get to know him more. The hard part is, how do we actually do that? How do we actually establish a relationship with the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person, it means that we can have a relationship with him. And so the question then becomes, how do we establish or even maintain that relationship? Well, the answer to that question, I believe, is found in Ephesians 5.18. More specifically, it's found in a phrase in, in, in verse 18, which is, be filled with the Spirit. That is how you relate to the Holy Spirit, by being filled with Him. But what exactly does that mean? Well, we'll certainly answer that question this morning, but before we do, I I think it's actually just as important to start by saying maybe what we don't mean, because there's a, a lot of confusion sometimes around the Holy Spirit in general and certainly being filled with Him. You might have heard the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the forgotten God, because uh, I think probably many of us, I know I've certainly been guilty of this, we, we tend to forget or neglect the role that the Holy Spirit takes in the life of the Christian. But you could also even call him not just the forgotten God, I think you could call him the misunderstood God, because there are many people who have not forgotten about the Holy Spirit. They've just misunderstood completely what the Bible actually says about him, 
And consequently, they've misrepresented his ministry or, or, or his role within the church and within the world. And so in order to make sure that we're all on the same page this morning, before we get too far into this topic, I, I want to just make sure and, and avoid that, that there's no confusion when it comes to what we mean by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in order to do that, I want to start by just giving three things that I believe being filled with the Spirit is not. So first, being filled with the Spirit is not being baptized with the Spirit. It's not being baptized with the Spirit. The first time that we, that we see this phrase baptized with the Spirit or a baptism of the Spirit mentioned is actually by John the Baptist. He says in, in Matthew 3.11, and I'm going to throw out for this section, I'm going to throw out several references. You don't have to look it up. I'll read them. You can write them down uh, if you want to study them later. But uh, Matthew 3.11 says, I baptized you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now, this is the important part. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, a baptism of the Holy Spirit is marked by a spiritual cleansing. Just like John the Baptist was, was offering a baptism of repentance, Jesus will come and he's going to offer a baptism of the Spirit, which will be marked by repentance. It will be marked by the forgiveness of sin. We also know that when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit, this is something that every Christian experiences. If you look in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which we'll actually be preaching on in just a couple of weeks once we get back into our, our 1 Corinthians series. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So this baptism of the spirit I think what Paul is saying here acts as a sign of the new covenant. It's something that, that every Christian experiences as they enter into the body of Christ, which is separate and distinct. It's an entirely different kind of process and thing from being filled with the Spirit, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. So that's the first thing. It is not being baptized with the Spirit. The second thing that, that we learn is that being filled with the Spirit is not being indwelt by the Spirit. So all the way back in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, we see God promise his people that a day will come when his Spirit would actually occupy not a place, not a location, not a, a physical temple in the sense of a building, but one day God's presence would actually occupy the people of God. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now flip back to 1 Corinthians where we, where we just were a moment ago in chapters, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And we see this promise from Ezekiel actually being fulfilled in the body of Christ. Paul, Paul asks believers in this passage, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. In other words, if you are a Christian, God has taken up residence in you. 
God has made you his temple when you believed in the name of Jesus. His presence is your presence. And this, I think, is why we, we probably need to be careful and, and back away from any kind of language where we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to come or to fill a place or to enter into or any other phrase that would imply that the Holy Spirit is somewhere other than wherever we are as believers. Because if you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you. And there are many implications of this, uh, being, being indwelt by the Spirit. He, he gives us spiritual gifts. Uh, he gives us uh, confidence in our salvation. He gives us wisdom. He guides us. Many different things. Uh, the, the list could go on and on. We can't discuss all of them this morning. But the important thing for us to understand is that being indwelt by the Spirit, we'll see, is not the same as being filled with the Spirit. So it's not being baptized by the Spirit. It's not being indwelt by the Spirit. The third thing is that being filled with the Spirit is not being sealed with the Spirit. So going back to Ephesians now. We're, we will actually land in Ephesians, I promise. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, this is actually one reason why at Pennington Park we would say you cannot lose your salvation. Because as we see here, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually secures and protects our eternal position with God when we believe in the truth of the gospel. That, that whole process cannot be undone because the Spirit's indwelling presence is what secures our salvation for eternity. Now, one thing I, I haven't actually said uh, up until now is that all of these things, being baptized, being indwelt, being sealed with the Spirit, all of those things happen, I believe, simultaneously at the moment of salvation. The moment we repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Spirit cleanses us. Uh, the Spirit resides within us, or He indwells us. He secures our salvation for eternity by sealing us. Also, the other thing that, that we need to keep in mind here is that these are not realities that we step in and out of. So the Spirit does not indwell us and then leave us and then indwell us again. The Spirit does not seal us and then we're not sealed and then He seals us again. These are not uh, kind of ongoing or recurring things that happen. They happen one time and their effects are permanent. Their effects are eternal. And both of those distinctions, the fact that they happen at the moment of salvation and that they also happen one time are going to be important for us to remember this morning, especially as we try to distinguish all of those things from, from this other thing over here, which is being filled with the Spirit. So, We've talked a lot about what it's not. Let's talk about what it is. And to, to help us, I want to offer kind of a, a working definition this morning based on the patterns and the teaching that we see throughout Scripture. All right, so here's what I would say. Being filled with the Spirit or being Spirit-filled 
is the ongoing process of the Spirit permeating more and more of our lives. Being Spirit-filled or being filled with the Spirit is the ongoing process of the Spirit permeating more and more of our lives. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, finishing a table with a, a top coat of polyurethane. If you've ever worked with polyurethane before, you probably know it's a, it can be a hard substance to work with, okay? It's a fairly thick uh, substance, and so you, as you're laying it on, of course, you want to have a nice, flat, clean finish. You don't want brush strokes in it. Uh, you don't want dirt and dust to get into it. And so an easy way to avoid all of that is actually just to kind of thin it down with something so that it lays flatter on whatever you're putting it on, and it dries quicker as well, so you don't get dust in it. I have a very complicated recipe for this. You can write this down. It's 50% polyurethane and 50% paint thinner, okay? Take that for what, whatever you want. So when I added the paint thinner in, in just a jar, I, I had polyurethane, added paint thinner. The polyurethane, which is oil-based, still was mostly at the bottom of the jar at this point, and the, the mineral spirits or the paint thinner, which is not oil-based and it's a little bit of a, a lighter substance, was really mostly uh, on top of the jar. Both of these ingredients were equally represented within the jar. The jar was full at this point. So I, I didn't need to add more polyurethane or, or, or more uh, paint thinner. That was not going to solve the problem that I was experiencing with these two things still staying somewhat separated in the jar. All I had to do in order to solve this problem that I had was to shake or stir up the jar. That was, that was the solution. So that the, the paint thinner and the polyurethane would be permeated and combined together in order to form one usable, nice finish. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's us taking intentional steps in order to allow the Spirit to actually work in and permeate our lives piece by piece, moment by moment. So as Chris likes to say, let's, let's unpack that definition a little more and let's actually see how I've arrived there based on our passage, Ephesians 5, 18. And just looking at this phrase on its own, be filled with the Spirit, we learn, I think, at least three things that help us understand exactly uh, what Paul means here when he uses that phrase. So the first thing that we learn about being filled with the Spirit is that it's ongoing in the life of the Christian. Now, unfortunately, you can't really get a sense of this in the English, uh, but the way that the verb phrase be filled is written in the Greek, it's written as an ongoing action. So, more literally, we could actually interpret this or translate this to say, be continually being filled with the Spirit, or be repeatedly being filled. So unlike being indwelt or baptized or sealed by the Holy Spirit, being filled with him or being filled by him is something that Christians can experience over and over and over again throughout our lives. 
And we actually see this, for example, in Acts 2 through 4 in the life of Peter, which is one of the disciples of Jesus. At the beginning of Acts 2, uh, we see Peter and the rest of his disciples, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit right before uh, Pentecost takes place. And the result of this filling, of course, if you've read Acts 2, you're familiar with this story, but the result of this filling is that Peter now is able to preach the gospel to thousands of people, all who speak different languages, come from different backgrounds, different places, all uh, able to preach one message, and all those people are able to miraculously hear the gospel preached in their own languages. That's the first time we see Peter filled with the Spirit. But then later on, Peter, we see in Acts 4, is standing before the Sanhedrin. And once again, the Bible tells us, Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us that Peter is again filled with the Spirit. And then later on in Acts 4, when uh, he and the other apostles are praying together, it says, again, he is filled with the Spirit. So not only do we see the sort of ongoing nature of the Spirit's filling implied in just the language or the phrase itself, but we also, I believe, even have a clear pattern in Scripture in which a person is being filled with the Spirit over and over and over again, or more and more. Now, I want to be as clear as possible this morning. Again, this is a, I think, a controversial topic. It's a topic that's often probably misunderstood, at best misinterpreted. When this topic comes up of being filled with the Spirit, a lot of people use or think of this illustration of a cup that is being filled with water, sometimes to the point of overflowing. And we'll say that's what it looks like, or that's what it feels like, or that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The problem with that illustration, though, is that it implies that when someone is filled with the Spirit, he or she didn't have the Spirit in the first place. They were this empty vessel, this empty cup that had nothing in it until the Spirit came and and filled them with himself. And so that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But that is not the example or the pattern that we see throughout the, uh, the, the New Testament. So just like the the polyurethane and the paint thinner, going back to that illustration, if we are followers of Christ, the Spirit is already present in our lives. We are not adding the Spirit to our lives in the sense that He was not there, and now He is there, and He's filling us. That's not what being filled with the Spirit means. Nothing is changing uh, the reality that the Spirit is already present in our lives. Nothing is taking that away, and then being given back. Millard Erickson, who wrote uh, an insanely thick book called Christian Theology, he says it this way, being filled with the Spirit is not so much a matter of our getting more of the Holy Spirit. It is rather a matter of his possessing more of our lives. So being filled with the Spirit is ongoing. It's an ongoing process. The second truth, though, that we learn about being filled with the Spirit is that it is done to us. It's done to us. Again, just looking at this phrase that Paul uses, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, and the way that he writes it, it's written in the passive voice. So, 
In other words, we are the recipient, not the contributor in this process of being filled with the Spirit. Now, does that mean that we play no role at all? Does that mean that we literally just sit there and we wait doing nothing until one day the Spirit decides to fill us? Well, we'll see in a little bit. Paul is actually about to call us to actually take certain steps in order to be filled with the the Holy Spirit. And so clearly, I don't think we take an inactive role in this process. But here's what I think Paul is saying. The Christian is absolutely called to be used by the Spirit. But we are never called to use the Spirit. Let me say that again. The Christian is absolutely called to be used by the Spirit. We are never called to use the Spirit. And this, I believe, is where we tend to get the Holy Spirit wrong. Because in trying to live out or experience what Ephesians uh, 5.18 is describing here, we can begin to view the Spirit as this kind of spiritual booster shot or power play that will fix all of our problems and take us wherever we want to go. And Paul is pushing against that tendency here, and he's doing so to remind us that the only way we can ever actually be filled with the Spirit is by God's moving for the sake of God's movement. He is not interested in being used by you, but he absolutely desires to use you and display his power through you. So we've seen that being filled with the Spirit is ongoing, it's, uh, it's done to us, and finally, it's a command. Being filled with the Spirit is a command. So again, the way Paul writes this phrase, he writes it as an imperative statement. It's not optional in the Christian life. Paul expects all Christians to faithfully and intentionally pursue being filled with the Spirit. Now, here's the good news about this. Because it's written as a command, we know that it's possible. God would not command us to do something or to live a certain way if it truly was impossible for us to do or to be obedient toward. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be indwelt by the Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to be sealed by the Spirit. All of those actions are accomplished entirely by God for our sake as a result of Christ's work. We do not play a part in those things. But we do play a part, Paul is saying, in being filled with the Spirit. And so if you are a Christian but would admit that that your communion with God has been lacking or his influence in your life is on this downward kind of trajectory, I actually hope that you would be leaving this morning after hearing this, you would leave encouraged, not discouraged, encouraged by this passage because Paul is telling you that can change. 
You can experience greater communion with God. You can experience a filling of the Spirit all anew, and that is good news. But, but here's the, the bad news, or maybe at least a potential warning for us. Because this is written as a command, it also means that we can disobey it. We can not be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can, as the, as the New Testament says, grieve the Holy Spirit. We can ignore his presence in our lives. We can pursue the urges and desires of our flesh rather than the will of God. And because that's the case, I want to spend really the remainder of our time this morning just considering how exactly we can be filled by the Spirit by looking at the rest of these verses, verses 19 through 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. But before we get too far, I actually just want to give a, a quick disclaimer or, or maybe just an explanation of this passage before we get too, too far into it. There is debate among commentators and New Testament scholars on whether verses 19 through 21 are describing the means of being filled with the Spirit or the result of being filled with the Spirit. In other words... Is Paul saying here, this is how you're filled with the Spirit? Or is he saying, this is what happens once you are filled with the Spirit? That's the question that I think we, we really need to kind of answer or grapple with or consider before we dive much further into this passage. And I'll also say there are, there are smart people who land on either side of that question. Okay, so I, I don't believe this is necessarily something that we have to split on as a, as a church. I don't think denominations need to be formed over this question. Uh, and, and here's the, the approach that I'm taking this morning as we look at these verses. I think that both positions can be right. Verses 19 through 21 can be describing both the means and the result of being filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled more and more with the Spirit of God, then follow what Paul is describing in verses 19 through 21. And as you are more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, then your life should be resembling or conforming to all that verses 19 through 21 are describing. So that's my approach. You can disagree with me, but as you can see, I have the Brittany mic this morning, and so you are fairly powerless in the situation, okay? I'm just warning you. So with that in mind, keeping in mind that this, this could be both things, it could be both the means and the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, let's look at verses 19 through 21. And as we do, I want you to pay specific attention to the centrality of Jesus in all these things that Paul is about to list. So how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the first way. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit through Christ-centered singing. Verse 19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now we could probably 
preach an entire sermon on, on just this verse alone. Actually, I'm sure there are probably entire sermons just on, on this verse alone. But there's just, for the sake of time, a couple of observations that I want to make here as it relates to the direction and the source of our singing. So first, in terms of the direction, we're called to direct our songs toward one another. In other words, singing in the body of Christ is not meant just to be upward-focused. It is also meant to be outward-focused. Because as we actually sing to one another, as we sing together, we are encouraged, admonished, and built up in the truths of God's word. But Paul says not only is our direction toward one another, we're also supposed to direct our singing ultimately toward Christ. Or as Paul says, the Lord. That's a, that's a common phrase that he uses, especially in Ephesians, to refer to Jesus specifically. Now think about this for a moment. How does singing songs to Christ fill us with the Spirit? Why would we not sing songs about the Spirit if we want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, as we've learned really over the last two weeks, I think it's been mentioned every week so far that we've talked about the Spirit, and I'll mention it again because it's important. The Spirit's role as it relates to His relationship with the Trinity is really ultimately to reveal and point to Christ. Spirit-filled living is accomplished through Spirit-filled singing, and Spirit-filled singing is ultimately Christ-centered singing. And not only are we to, to sing to, to, uh, toward one another and toward Christ, the second observation that I want to make here is about the source. We are to sing with our hearts. Now think about the irony of, of that statement for just a second. Paul calls us to sing not with our voices, not with our hands, not with instruments, although all of those things are, are certainly meant to be involved in the process of us singing and making music within the local church. But he doesn't call us ultimately to sing with those things. Instead, he says, sing with your hearts. True Christ-centered singing is only possible when the very core of our being, when our hearts have come to recognize the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ that's revealed to us in the gospel. That is spirit-filled living. That is spirit-filled singing. It's Christ-centered singing. Unfortunately, we'll actually have the opportunity in just a moment to actually put that into practice. And so I encourage you even begin now preparing your heart for that moment. But, but for now, we're going to move on to the second point here. How can we be filled with the Spirit, not only through Christ-centered singing, but then also through Christ-centered thanksgiving? In verse 20, uh, it says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's a shameless plug really quickly. If you haven't read Dustin's book on Thanksgiving, I encourage you today, go out to the resource wall and purchase it, okay? 
Um, it, it, it truly is. It's a great book on this very topic of Thanksgiving. And one of the, the greatest themes that at least I've pulled out of the book that, I, that has just continued to stick with me over the last year is that in that book, Dustin reminds us that true biblical Thanksgiving is not just being thankful for something. True biblical Thanksgiving is being thankful to someone. What that means, what Dustin is saying there, is that thanksgiving is actually about confession. When we give thanks, when we, when we express our thanksgiving, we're confessing that every good thing that we have in this life and in this world is ultimately from our Heavenly Father. But even more than that, Paul says, our thanksgiving is in Christ, which is why we we uh, approach the Lord in thanksgiving in the name of Jesus because it's only through Jesus that we actually experience God's blessing and not his wrath. It is only because of what Jesus has done that we can actually approach the throne of the Lord and be thankful that he is the giver of good things rather than the judger who is going to condemn us for all of eternity and rightfully so. Now, if that doesn't make you thankful, I don't know what will. That's way better than turkey and stuffing. (laughs) So we should absolutely be engaged in this Christ-centered thanksgiving as we pursue being filled with the Spirit in our lives. So we're we're, just to review, we're filled with the Spirit through Christ-centered singing, Christ-centered thanksgiving, and then third and finally, Christ-centered submission. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, something that we should know about this verse is that it is not just a blanket call for everyone to submit to everyone in all situations or in everything. In fact, if you actually read the rest of Ephesians 5 and 6, you're going to see that Paul's going to sort of flesh out this particular command. This is sort of a, a transitionary verse for the rest of Ephesians. And for the rest of Ephesians, Paul is going to present this kind of clear framework in which Christians are to submit to one another, whether that's in the home or in the church or in the larger society. In other words, to submit in this context is ultimately to recognize the social and even the spiritual structures and relationships which God has divinely ordered. And it's in that submission that we can both honor and exemplify Christ. So, if you are a child and this week your parents tell you you need to wash the dishes and you say, hey, you know what? Paul says that we need to submit to one another. You wash the dishes. You are, you are not, I mean, you can do that, but you are not backed up with scripture here, okay? Parents, do not blame me for this. I explicitly said that's not what you can do, all right? So to live a spirit-filled life, here's what we should get from this. To live a spirit-filled life does not always mean that we will live a bold or loud life. In fact, I think you could argue from this particular passage that maybe even more often than not, a spirit-filled life is actually marked by a quiet submission to those whom God has sovereignly placed 
over you. And to be obstinate or to be disrespectful or to be defiant in those situations, those specific situations where God has called you to submit is not just less than ideal, Paul is saying. It is an attitude and a heart and a lifestyle which opposes Christ himself. To refuse to obediently submit ourselves to divinely ordered relationships is essentially to say, I am more worthy of glory and comfort and self-fulfillment than even Christ is. Because even Christ forfeited all of those things in order to submit to the Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross. Spirit-filled living cannot exist without Christ-centered submission. Spirit-filled living cannot exist without Christ-centered thanksgiving. And spirit-filled living cannot exist without Christ-centered singing. And so let's not hold off anymore. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we can use these next few minutes to be filled with the Spirit more and more as we sing one last song together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that not only do you baptize us with your Spirit, not only do you indwell us, not only do you seal us, but Lord, even you fill us continually more and more and that we experience your grace more and more through the Spirit. That you can become more and more active in our lives, permeate more and more of our lives, take over more and more of our lives so that we are slowly but consistently looking more and more like Jesus. And so I pray that we would not take that for granted this morning, but that we would use this opportunity even right now to actually prepare our hearts to be filled by your Spirit. As we sing this last song together, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.